subject of the message, my title is The Urgency of the Hour. And just in that vein, I wonder if you would just pray that the, the, the Word of the Lord and the Spirit of God would minister in this place in a powerful way. Let's lift our voices one more time. I know we've prayed many times, but this is a praying church. Let's ask God to move in the name of Jesus. God, thank you for your word. I pray that it would go forth and that it would not return void. God, that it would not, God, that it would not return without accomplishing its purpose. You told us that wherever it would go, it would do that. So, Lord, that's what I'm speaking over this service today. Let your word have its, do its full work and let your spirit have its way. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Scripture tells us of a king. And this king was unlike other kings in many ways. This king had wealth and splendor beyond one's imagining. His rule and reign stretched over a vast kingdom, and those within his kingdom had a great reverence and respect for him. But there came a point in time that this particular king, despite all his loyal subjects and despite his great wealth, despite all of the pomp and circumstance surrounding his reign, this king desired to have a bride. And through a series of events, the king finds and favors a young girl and brings her into his kingdom. It's an ancient rags-to-riches story, to be sure. By all measures, this young virgin girl doesn't deserve this special honor. She doesn't come from royalty herself, but despite her humble beginning, she, she receives unmerited favor from the king. And Esther chapter 2 and 17 says that the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace, and she obtained favor in his sight more than all the others, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and he made her queen instead of Vashti. What an honor. What a privilege to be blessed and favored by the king. What a privilege to receive his grace and to be brought into his kingdom. Isn't that a privilege today? Isn't it wonderful to be blessed and highly favored to be honored by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to be brought into the kingdom of our God. It's a blessing to receive His grace and to be brought into the kingdom. And here Esther now sits within the bounty and the blessing of the palace walls. And by virtue of her relationship with the King, she is afforded a good life and the hope of a secure future. But Esther must realize that although she has been blessed beyond measure, it was not merely for her personal benefit, for God had positioned her in that place for a divine purpose. Years pass, and while Esther is enjoying the comfort and ease of the palace, wickedness starts to fester and grow. And a man of influence named Haman, who hates the people of God, he hatches an evil plot to exterminate all Jews, within the kingdom. And so lots are cast, lots called Purim, by Haman. And as a result, a date is selected for the devastating slaughter of God's people to take place. The plan is made official. 
signed into Persian law, and it cannot be changed. The day of swift judgment will take place, and it will take place in less than one year. And nobody can delay it. Nobody can slow its coming. And as you can imagine, the hour in that season of time was urgent. There was little to no time to delay because the clock was now ticking. The date had been set and it was fast approaching regardless of anyone who would perhaps desire to push it ahead or to defer it or delay it. It was coming. It was coming. But There is one final character in Esther's story that I would introduce to us today. And his name is Mordecai. The older cousin of this young girl named Esther, who years earlier had adopted and raised Esther as his own. And he was a voice of authority. He was a voice of direction for this young girl. And upon hearing the news of Haman's plan and the soon coming judgment, Mordecai, he is stirred in his spirit. He is burdened for his people who will soon face certain destruction. And in this urgent hour, Mordecai sees within Esther the potential to make a difference. He recognizes that God has uniquely positioned this young Jewish girl to go toe-to-toe with the forces of evil and bring about the salvation of God's people. And Mordecai, once again, he becomes that voice in Esther's life, that voice of authority, that voice that at times in the past has brought direction is speaking again, and this time it's bringing her news of the plight of God's people. He makes a powerful statement as he's relaying this devastating news in Esther 4.14. He said, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, if you choose to do nothing, Esther, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. He had faith in the word that God had given to Abraham many generations earlier that that his seed would extend to generation upon generation. And, And Mordecai had the faith to believe that God would probably come through somehow, some way, and deliverance would come from another place. But he said, Esther, if you do nothing, thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Lives will be lost. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther, God has put you where you are. Not for your own personal benefit merely, but because He wants to use you for His glory. You see, Esther had the privilege of being within the palace walls. She had a certain level of security and safety as a result. Nobody knew that Esther was Jewish. The the scripture is very specific on two occasions in Esther chapter 2 to tell us that her identity as a Jew was hidden from those around her. And so it would reason that she would survive the coming onslaught. Esther was abundantly blessed to have communion with the king, affording her many benefits. But Mordecai, That voice of authority, that voice of direction in her life. He raised his voice in an effort to make Esther mindful of those who were without the walls that would soon face judgment. Can I say this morning that Mordecai in many ways is like the voice 
and is like the role of a preacher in our lives. And, and, and I'm not trying to be presumptuous this morning, but Mordecai in many ways was like the voice of this preacher here this morning, trying to unlock the purpose in Esther's life, trying to agitate her into action, to spur her into stepping out and to trouble her into taking initiative. Esther, if you don't act, there are those who will face destruction. You will make it. You'll be fine. They will not. Esther, it is important that you don't get too comfortable in the palace. Don't become too at ease in Zion, as it were. Please heed the voice of Mordecai and be stirred like he by the plight of the people. Esther, a date has been set on the calendar after which many lives will be lost. And if you don't act soon, it will be too late. And so I rise to this pulpit today to raise my voice as Mordecai did. And I've come to communicate to us the urgency of the hour in which we live. And to remind us that the time is late. That a day of destruction and judgment for this world is soon coming. But on the other side of that coin, I say despite that, despite a date that we can't defer or delay or push back, I say that it is within our power to make a difference and that there is still a window of opportunity for us to intervene and see people spared from judgment. God has called us to the kingdom for such a time as this. Somebody say the urgency of the hour. We observe the signs of the times. and They remind us that the end is at hand. We may not know the day nor the hour like they did in Esther's story, but we can know with certainty that the end is coming soon. We recognize that creation itself, it groans in waiting for the work of redemption to culminate in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And every child of God with even the slightest sense of spiritual sensitivity knows that we are living in the last days. You read your newspaper. You look at the news headline. And, and as we see increasingly news headlines and prophetic statements converging, we know that the end is at hand. And for the born-again believer, this is exciting news. This, this is good news because it means that we will soon be caught up in the rapture of the church. What a glorious hope. Soon we will be in the presence of Jesus Christ, the one who saved us and gave his life for us and redeemed us. Soon we will be reunited with loved ones that have gone on to their reward, those who have died in Christ. And as Paul told us, we're going to be reunited with them together and we're going to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So when I start talking about the rapture of the church and the end times and, and the coming of the Lord, this truth doesn't make me nervous. It makes me excited. That is the response of somebody who has had their sins 
remitted, washed, and cleansed under the blood of Jesus Christ. It causes something to well up within us like fire shut up in our bones. It gets me excited to think that one of these days I'm going to leave terra firma and I'm going to be in glory in the presence of Jesus with all the saints of all the ages that have gone on before me. What a blessed hope we have today. When I see end time prophecy being fulfilled in our day, I don't hang my head. I don't hang my head, but I look up and I lift up my head for I know that my redemption draws nigh. When I think upon the fact that Jesus is coming soon, I don't shudder, but I join with the Apostle John and I say, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I don't know how you feel about it this morning. I'm not hoping that that I get a few extra years or a few extra decades here on planet Earth. I'm thankful for the blessings of God in my life, but they pale in comparison to what God has in store for those who love Him. Peter said, he said that we ought to be looking for and hasting under the coming of the day of God. I'm not hoping that judgment gets here sooner. It's kind of like two sides of the same coin. We, we want people to be spared, but there's something within us that, that we long for and we look for and we haste under the coming of the day of God. In other words, other translations say, we're, we're praying, God, you know, hurry this thing along, speed this thing up. Even so, come Lord Jesus, we long to see it. We're excited. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4 and 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Paul is near the end of his life, and at the end of his life, he is thinking about that day when God will reward him with a crown of righteousness. But Paul said, it's not to me only, but it's unto all them also which love His appearing. And I've come to say, when I see everything happening in our world today, I get a little bit excited when I think about streets of gold and gates of pearl and walls of jasper, a land where the Lamb is the light where there's neither any sorrow nor shame nor sickness nor crying for the former things are passed away come on is anybody excited about the hope that we have of heaven today can you worship the Lord and thank him that he picked you up and he brought you out and he placed you in his kingdom oh worship the Lord for a moment Thank you, Jesus. But while I am thankful for that blessed hope, and while I take comfort in this truth, as Paul said, we ought, we must simultaneously be careful to not become indifferent to the state of those outside the walls of the kingdom. For here we sit in many ways like Esther, safe and secure, We have relationship with the king and we know that the coming wrath won't affect us the way it affects others. It will affect others. But hear the voice of the Spirit. For those that have an ear to hear, understand the hour should bring about an urgency. For the hour is late. Judgment 
is coming to this world. And this reality must compel us to action. The fact that we are in that final season, just before the end. And the fact that it is within our power to affect the eternal destination of the souls of men and women. Yes, the need, it is urgent. Yes, the time is late, but that's why God has favored you, Esther. And God has uniquely positioned you to make a difference. And so Esther, in the story, she doesn't delay, she doesn't defer, understanding what time it is. And she responds with immediate action. She calls a three-day fast. And at the end of it, she goes before King Ahasuerus. And the king, he listens to Esther's petition. And her prompt action, it results in a great victory for those outside the walls. What Haman had intended against the Jews, what that wicked man, what, what the enemy incarnate intended to do against them, it was turned against him and the people were spared judgment and his life was lost. Talked about it a little bit last week. That's how God can turn it. God can work it. God can do it very quickly. Uh, the Lord can work speedily in our circumstance. But it's because Esther responded promptly. And the worst thing that Esther could have done was to presume upon time and to put it off until tomorrow what God was calling her to do now because the clock was ticking. The day was coming. For some, the elusive idea of tomorrow, it has created a false sense of security. And some have chosen to indulge their reluctance and have decided to respond to God's call. They want to. They say, I, I, I want to serve you, God. I want to live for you, God. I want to do your will, God. But tomorrow, later, someday. The problem, however, is that if one was willing to postpone purpose once, it is easy to do it again the next time, and the next time, and the next time. And so some keep waiting for tomorrow to arrive, but it never really does because our tomorrow becomes our today, and we defer again. And before you know it, time passes, and seasons change, and windows of opportunity do close. Repeatedly, we are warned in Scripture not to presume upon tomorrow, not to wait, not to delay. Solomon said in Proverbs 27, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't know whether or not you're, you'll have tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow, for what is your life but a vapor? You're not guaranteed tomorrow, so don't boast in it. Don't feel confident in it. You're not you can't be certain of it. He would say in Proverbs 3, withhold not good from them to whom it is due. When it is in the power of thine hand to do it. When you've got the ability to do something to help somebody that is in dire straits. When you've got it within your power in this season, in this moment, to do something to change the destiny, the eternal destination of somebody. Uh, Solomon, he said, you got to do it then, right now. And don't say to your neighbor, go and come again. Not now, in other words. Go and then, and then come again, and then tomorrow I'll give you. Tomorrow I'll give. Don't do that when thou hast it by thee now. 
But despite warnings like these, it can be so easy, can't it? I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody else this morning. It can be easy for us to default to our own reluctance and to defer the call of God. It happened time and time again in your Bible. In the nation of Israel, the temple, it was one of the most essential elements in their worship to God. The practice of having a specific place for God's presence to dwell. It was significant and it it goes all the way back to the wilderness wanderings in the book of Exodus. And at that time, it was essentially a glorified tent, and they called this the tabernacle. But eventually, they transitioned to more permanent structures. Solomon built one such structure, and it was a sight to behold. This temple of the Lord, it was one of the most exquisite and expensive buildings ever built, even by today's standards and in today's dollars, far surpassing anything. And I'll spare you the details of history, but time passes, and at the hands of evil men, the temple is leveled to the ground. It's a difficult blow against God's people, but through a series of events, God allows His people to rebuild another temple, again for the glory of God. And in Ezra chapter 1, we see the foundation of the temple being laid in Jerusalem once again. And this brought such joy to the people. In fact, Ezra 3.11, it tells us that the people sang and shouted praises to God because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And it was exciting times, to be sure. However, this excitement gave way. And the progress was soon halted because of the opposition of surrounding enemy nations. And as a result, the passion for building God's house, it grew cold. All that laid there in the ground was the foundation for the house of God, but nothing more. Days turn into weeks, weeks, months, months turn into years, and eventually decades begin to pass. And nearly 20 years go by, and no additional progress is made. And so God sends a voice to begin to agitate the people out of their place of apathy. In Haggai chapter 1 and 2, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, this people say. This this is what the people is, is, is saying to themselves. The time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. The opposition they had faced, it caused Israel to back off, and their progress ceased as a result. And all they had was a foundation. Everyone say a foundation. Now a good foundation is wonderful. You need a good foundation. Because you can't build God's house if you don't have a firm foundation. You need to be planted on the solid rock of the Word of God. You need a firm foundation if you want to build God's house. A good foundation is wonderful. But can I tell us this morning, it is God's will for us to build God's house. I'm thankful. I'll just, I'll just do a little aside here in the sermon this morning and say that I'm thankful that we are built upon the foundation 
of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. I'm thankful for the foundation of sound apostolic doctrine. I'm thankful for the revelation of the new birth experience and the mighty God in Christ and holiness as unto the Lord. A good foundation is wonderful and it's powerful. And can I say I'm thankful that we celebrate our foundation, that we shout about our foundation. You can be in a service and somebody talks about how, how, how God and Jesus, they are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we'll shout and we'll celebrate the foundation that we've been given. But we need more than just a good foundation. It is the will of God that God's people build up the house of God. And in their day back then, because of opposition, God's people, they started procrastinating God's plan. And to justify their own idleness, they begin making excuses. Perhaps in an effort to soothe their own conscience, they start saying, it's not a good time to build God's house. We'll get to it someday. We'll get to it tomorrow. But because they were willing to postpone their purpose once, God had sent them there. He had allowed Cyrus, king of Persia, to let the Jews go back to their homeland. And he gave them provision and funding to build their temple. He had sent, sent them there on purpose. But because they delayed purpose once, it was easy for them to do it again the next time. And they did. And 20 years go by. But I've come to remind us this morning that God wants us to build his house today. And I am not talking about an edifice like the one that we are sitting within this morning. I'm not talking about brick and mortar, wood and stone. I'm not talking about physical buildings. I'm talking about the souls of men and women. It is time to build upon the foundation that God has given us that's been passed us by our elders. Come on, we've got a firm and solid footing. There's a solid rock upon which we can build, but God would call us to build up the house today. In spite of setbacks, in spite of opposition, God says, you're uniquely positioned. It's the end times, church. And the hour is urgent. And I'm willing to partner with anybody to give a great revival to anybody who's willing to partner with me. Everyone say the urgency of the hour. We must not be intimidated by the opposition of the enemy. We must not be lulled to sleep today by an elusive tomorrow that always slips through our fingers. It is time now we shout now. It is time now to build God's house for that day of judgment. It is set. It can't be changed. And it is fast approaching. But to every spirit-filled believer under the sound of my voice, let me tell you, it is within our power. We can affect change. We can make a difference. You see those currently outside the kingdom be spared from the wrath to come. So Esther, heed the voice of Mordecai. You've been favored. You've been favored. As a result, you'll be spared judgment. And I celebrate that today. But don't be content to sit idly by while others face imminent destruction. 
I'm reminded this morning, and I will hasten to a close. Music, if you'd like to join me. I'm reminded this morning of Pharaoh's cupbearer. In the story of Joseph, you can read the account in Genesis 40 and 41. Both the cupbearer and Joseph, among others, they had been locked up in an Egyptian prison together. Until the day that Pharaoh summoned that cupbearer and reinstated him to his position in the palace. You see, the king had favored this man and made him a, an individual that, that bore the wine of the king. The butler, the cupbearer, he's reinstated, he's favored by the king and, 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 and as a result has a good life in the kingdom. But you know how it is cares of this life, myriad responsibilities, it makes life busy. And as the cupbearer went about carrying out his duties in Pharaoh's palace, he forgot about Joseph back in the prison that he had just come from. In fact, Genesis 40, 23, it tells us that this butler, this cupbearer, he never gave Joseph another thought. What a tragedy. To have been brought out of the prison cell and then forget everybody locked up in the prison. To be saturated with the blessings of the kingdom. To be favored by the king. but Forget the prison cell. But if you could hear Joseph calling this morning. Verse 14, he said, please remember me. Please remember me. And can you just do me one favor? When things are going well for you, and when you're blessed and favored in the kingdom, can you just mention me to the king? Can you mention me to Pharaoh so that he might let me out of this place? Like in Esther's story, there was an urgency in that hour. For God had determined that in just a short time there would be seven years of plenty but then to be followed by seven years of famine. And the clock was ticking. Chaos and destruction were coming and they were coming fast. The date had been set in God's calendar and nobody could prevent it. Nobody could delay it. Nobody could defer it. So what does God do? Joseph is still in prison and God desires to set him free. For it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what does he do? He gets the attention of that cupbearer by sending troubling dreams to Pharaoh. And through these dreams, God agitates and stirs the mind of that cupbearer. He troubles him. He stirs him up. And, and that cupbearer could sense an urgency in the hour. And this causes him to pivot his mind and what had been out of his mind for so long, never giving Joseph another thought all of a sudden. The voice of God, in this case, speaking through the dreams to a Pharaoh, causes that cupbearer, the one that carried the wine of the king, to focus again on that prison cell, put his mind back on Joseph, and he tells Pharaoh about him. And as a result, Joseph is set free and also given a position in the kingdom. 
I'm not here this morning to indict anyone. I'm not here to condemn anybody. If you, like so many, have gotten carried away or distracted by the responsibilities of life, I'm not here to look down my nose at anybody that has been enjoying the blessings of the kingdom. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it's become to the neglect of those still headed for destruction, even even then, I'm not here to look down my nose at you. I'm just here to raise my voice and stir us this morning out of our routines and to remind us that God's calendar has a date on it. And judgment is coming soon thereafter. I've come to remind us that the rapture of the church will happen soon and Jesus is coming back for His bride and we celebrate that blessed hope. But let us be stirred this morning by the plight of the people outside of the kingdom today. I feel like God has sent His Word to remind us of those still bound in prison. To remind us of those that are heading headlong for that destruction. And maybe we've gotten caught up in our routines and Maybe we've just gotten uh, to the place where we're enjoying the blessings of the kingdom. But in light of what time it is, in light of the urgency of this hour, we must refocus on the lost because it is within our power to make a difference. And we have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. And we can't choose to put it off. We mustn't presume upon tomorrow. The time is late. The hour is urgent. Now. Somebody shout now. Behold, now is the accepted time. And behold, now. Today is the day of salvation. I close this morning with this. There was a day that Jesus, He was was with His disciples. It's in John chapter 4, and he starts talking about the harvest. And and in verse 35, he said, Do you not say? Isn't this kind of what people say, in other words? There are still four months, then comes harvest. But Jesus said, Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white. For harvest, the fields are ready. It's not four months and then comes harvest. The fields are ready now for harvest. But people just kind of get used to saying things to themselves. Oh, the time is not yet for us to build the temple. Oh, yet four months and then comes harvest. And this actually is, is, is true because there's the law of the harvest. There's the sower and the reaper you plant in spring and in about four months harvest happens we understand that harvest does involve a process and it does involve time it requires somebody to plant the seed and then after the passage of time harvest springs up and somebody reaps that harvest and this is true even Jesus acknowledges this in verse 37 he says for in this the saying is true one sows and another reaps but Jesus said that harvest isn't coming later. We're not in that waiting phase. But harvest is ready now, and here's why. Verse 38. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. I'm sending you into harvest fields in which others have labored. 
And you are going to enter into their labors. That's why the harvest is ready now. We are standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. Those who have prayed prayers and sowed seed in the soil of this city and this region. Jesus said in this end time hour, in these last days, you're going to be going into fields, entering into other people's labors, and you will be a reaper of a great harvest. In this late hour, we must recognize that God has been at work. And there are souls ready now, as we shout now, for harvest. I don't know how, all the ways that God has done it, but somehow, some way, God's Word has been planted and the harvest is ready. I don't think we even fully appreciate how the past two years have allowed the gospel of the kingdom to be preached in all the world. At the beginning of this pandemic two years ago, everybody became an online preacher, a televangelist. Everybody. And the word has been going out and been spreading and going forth. I don't even think we fully appreciate the gravity of that. And how the truth of God's word has been so accessible. It's never had such access and such exposure. This world has never heard the word as much as they've heard it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't still preach. And I'm not saying we shouldn't still sow seed. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not trying to negate our responsibility to go into the highways, into the hedges, and to compel them to come. I'm just saying that God is already working. And God already has a harvest ready for reaping. But what we, what we can't do... You say, oh, there's four months, and then there's harvest. Harvest is right now. As you stand together with me, we need to recognize what time it is. Come on. There's a date set, and we're in the end of this thing. And the, er the hour is urgent, and so it's time for us to get our eyes on the harvest field again. To not be too comfortable and at ease in the kingdom of God. I'm thankful my soul is secure, but I want to do everything that I can to make a difference in the life of somebody out there. You'll be all right, Esther, but they won't. But if you do something, Paul said in that knowing the time, knowing the hour in which you live, he said, it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Can you hear it this morning? Can you hear the voice of a loving Father that is calling? Can you hear the voice of a Mordecai that is speaking to agitate us out of our slumber perhaps? Can you hear the cries of a lost world that are desperate for an answer because judgment is coming? And we can make a difference today. I wonder if you would lift your hands right now. I wonder if you would just take a moment and, and if you would just respond to the Word of the Lord today. Yes, Lord. Come on, be encouraged this morning. It is within your hand, Esther. It is within your power, Esther. Come on, you're spirit-filled this morning. You bear the wine of the King, and it is within your power 
to petition the king and to let him know that there's someone still in prison that needs to be delivered. Ha ha ha. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. God, I pray that you would stir us in our heart today. God, I pray from from the most seasoned saint of God to somebody that is here with us this morning, they may not have full understanding of all that God has in store for them or how God wants to use them, but they can be like that blind man healed by Jesus in John chapter 9 and he's being interrogated and he says, all I know is that I was blind, but now I can see. So God, let that burden on everybody under the sound of my voice. I pray that it would stir us and compel us into greater action this morning. In the name of Jesus. 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 Jesus. I'm going to invite us to come to this altar in a moment before I do. I just want to say that if you're in this service this morning and your soul is not secure and you don't know if you're ready, let me just tell you, it's not complicated and it is available to whoever wants to. But you can, today, you can repent of your sin and you can make a conscious choice to turn your life God's direction and say, God, I, I know I won't be perfect, but I want to walk your way and do your will. That's called repentance. It's not just feeling sorry. It's making a decision to go a different direction. You can make that decision today. So we say today. Today is the day of salvation. And you can experience the cleansing flow of the remission of your sins in the waters of baptism. We'll, we, we have towels. We have robes ready. So we say today. Today you can be baptized in the only saving name of Jesus Christ. And God tells us through His Word, Acts 2.38, Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. God wants to fill you today with power to walk for Him, with power to live above sin. It's the earnest of our inheritance. And if that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if it dwell in you, it's going to get you out of here at rapture time. So if what I've preached today has compelled you to a place of urgency, that is your step. And I would invite you in a moment to come to this altar surrounded by people that will be praying and repent of your sin and come talk to me, talk to anybody on this platform. We would love the privilege of baptizing you and praying with you to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But before we leave this place this morning, I want to speak to our church a little bit too and say, sometimes we excuse ourselves and we say, well, I'm not the most charismatic person. You talk about reaching the lost. You talk about souls. Sometimes we just, we kind of excuse ourselves because of our personality. But you notice what Esther did. She fasted and she petitioned the king. I don't care what your personality is. Everybody has the ability and the responsibility to fast, to deny ourselves on behalf 
of those that are facing judgment and destruction and to petition the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to pray to God about the people in our city and to call out the names and to make mention of names in prayer. Anybody and everybody can do that. And I just feel before we leave this place, I want to have that two-pronged invitation to the altar this morning. If you want to repent of your sin or be baptized or receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, I invite you to come. But church family, I wonder if you can also come at the same time. And if you can come with an intention to petition the King on behalf of our city. I wonder if you can even now begin to step out of your seat with an intention to lift up a name of a family member, to lift up a name of a co-worker, to cover your school in prayer this morning and to say, God, I'm focused on those that are outside the kingdom. God, I'm burdened this morning for those who are not in communion with the King yet. God, I'm burdened for them. I'm praying for them. I'm petitioning your throne on behalf of them. And so if you'd like to intercede for a few moments before we go our separate ways this morning, if you've got a burden in your spirit for the lost in Atlantic Canada and beyond, I wonder if you could come and if you could lift your voice with every bit of strength you've got and say, God, work. God, draw them. God, use me. Use us, God. Use our words. Use our influence. God, use this local church. God, use our pastor. Use our leadership teams. God, I pray that You'd use us. Come on, just I, I would encourage you in this moment to not just feel a heaviness that pushes you down, but let it be a burden and a conviction that causes you to lift up your head with an authority in the Holy Ghost to pray for the souls of the city of Fredericton. Yes, yes. Come on, Moses. Stand toe-to-toe with Pharaoh in the spirit of the age and say, let my people go. I just wish this would be a prayer meeting that this whole sanctuary would turn into a prayer meeting and we would intercede for our city and we would intercede for our families and we would push back the darkness and enlarge the borders of the kingdom of God through prayer. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, 
In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, Oh, can we just let a cry escape our lips for a few more moments here today? Can we just let the burden, the burden of this late hour rest upon us? Ah, Yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh God, you favored us in here, but God, I'm praying a special unction upon these precious people of God that you would favor us beyond these walls. God, that you would put the words in our mouth to speak life into this, into the death and destruction of our world, to speak light into the darkness of this world. God, I pray that you would orchestrate our steps. God, lead us to people that are hungry and hurting, Lord God. I pray, Jesus, as that, uh, that as we pray and as we seek your will and seek your face on behalf of our city, God, I pray that it would orchestrate our lives. God, that you would direct our steps, God. That you would open doors of opportunity. Open doors of opportunity, relationships with coworkers and friends and classmates to let the gospel, the light of this gospel shine. And God, I do believe that there's hungry hearts dotted and just spread in abundance around this region. God, I just choose to believe that you've been working. You told us that the harvest was ready. So God, without delay, we respond this morning. We consecrate, we commit this morning to reach, to pray, to fast in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You might be near somebody that is, co- is coming to the Lord and repenting of their sin. I just wonder if all across this sanctuary and all across this altar, if we could find somebody to join together with and take them by the hand. And just one more time, if we could just lift our voices together like a trumpet and to create an atmosphere for somebody that maybe, maybe is praying a prayer for the very first time. Can we just pray as a church family, pray over one another, pray with one another, and just let that unction flow right now in the name of Jesus. Can we bind together in faith, believing? Oh, <laughs> 